You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And I'm James. Join us as we journey into beekeeping while we learn to be the change, one hive at a time. Today we've got a special guest. Very special. He does seem special to me. <laughs> Hello, people. Today we have Jimmy Collins. Is it Jim or Jimmy? Whatever makes you feel good. Well, or how are we going to do this? Because we have Jim and Jim. Jimmy's fine. Everybody. So we have James Jimmy. Blast, which goes by Jim, oh, Jimbo. Is it James today? And John sometimes. I go by whatever you want to call me. Let's call him Matt. <laughs> Matthew is his middle name. So, yeah, yes. man. Right, Jimbo you're... Matthew. Just don't call him late for happy hour. There you go. <laughs> hey. Everyone's got to have a hobby. That's right. Well, Jimmy's not too far from you. I mean, he's probably closer to you and, and yeah, climate. Yeah, a little over an hour from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm in Medina County. How far from yep. Cleveland? Um, I could be in West Side Market in maybe 35 minutes. I'm sorry. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Well, tell everybody who Jimmy Collins is and your relationship with keeping bees. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm a Leo. Um, <laughs> Wait, I thought you were Jimmy. Yeah. Wait, this, that's the wrong show. That's later. Oh, sorry. That's that sample show. All right. <laughs> Wait, he, he sells a show? Uh, I, I don't know. I, thought that prostrated. <laughs> I give him a dollar every month for it, so... Oh, Dan used to do that too. Well, you know, some yeah. people still do tricks for dollars. <laughs> you get you get what you pay for. So sorry, oh. sorry <laughs> Drew, I couldn't help it. I smell blood in the water and I had a bite. So no, seriously. Um, so just as far as beekeeping goes, um, my wife and I moved from Arizona to here. It'll be six years in May, so about five and a half years or so. Um, and the house we moved into was. Has it's a couple acres in Sharon Center, and there was a uh, beehive in the backyard. Okay, so there, so this beehive was, you know, it was it was a dead hive. Um, I didn't know anything about it, but I was, was in a tree or was it a box? Or? Oh no, yeah, I'm sorry, it's a long strength hive. I believe it was uh, two supers and a medium, uh, like a, a. So you bought a house that had a beehive in the backyard? Yeah, well, we actually rented it, so it already had a beehive, an empty hive in the backyard that was left behind. Oh. And the guy who had the house before me kept bees regularly, from what I heard, but only had one hive. So, um, so yeah, of course, I was instantly intrigued by it. Um, but, you know, when you move to a new home, you've got, there's too many other things going on. Yeah. So, basically, by the following winter, I was like, you know what, I really want to get into this. You know, I did some research, got a little more familiar with colonial collapse. Um, How much research did you do? Just reading online, you know, and some YouTube stuff, like most people. Um, and but that when I when I made the conscious decision to really um, that I wanted to start keeping bees and learning how to keep bees, um, I did um, sign up for the Medina County Beekeepers Course. So luckily, I moved into an area that was it's really a hotbed, well, um, for beekeeping. Because, oh, totally. Because yeah. Medina County, home of. Uh, AI root and, and Flum, yeah, all that's in that area. He yeah. was Don he, the Fat Bee Man's also from that area. Well, he mm-hmm. Flum was my uh, teacher actually. Wow, yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, so very lucky there. So basically, I I, I located the um, uh, the club, Medina County Beekeepers Association, and I oh gosh, I totally 
blanked on her name. She was president at the time. I Peggy Ernst. Thank you. So I was able to reach out or emailed Peggy. I didn't even know who the woman was. And she responded. And I told her my story. And, and I sent her pictures of, of, of what was left behind in the hive. And she goes, I don't know, but it looks a lot like maybe foul brood might have hit it, something like that. Uh, uh, let me back up. So the first summer I was there, I didn't touch the hive. I left it alone. Mm -hmm. A swarm moved in. Oh, That's okay. what really nice. got me going. That's what Free bees. Yeah, that's yeah. what really jazzed me. So, um, and of course, they didn't last long. Like, they didn't last the summer. They die or they move They died on? off. No, they died okay. off. They died in the summer? Yeah, they died off. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't make it to past August. You, you found know, dead bees or they just took they, off? Uh, no, I found dead bees. Wow. Yeah. So, um, that's when I reached out to the Medina County Beekeepers Association is when the swarm moved in. And I'm like, I want to go into it, but I don't know what I'm doing. You know, you, you're kind of scared, but yet you want to, you're excited at the same time. So that's when she, you know, uh, started helping me a little bit via email. And when they died off, I sent pictures of what was there and, and uh, it, had, it had a bad odor. She goes, yeah, it's probably foul brood. You should, you should burn the hive. So that's what I did. Um, so the, the next available class that started, I started taking. So is it just like one of the one day, like B college things that, no, it's not a one day. It's multiple weeks. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. It's one night a week. I believe is what it was. Um, included, uh, uh some field work. Um, um, we had some guest speakers, uh, gentleman from, um, Ohio. Uh, I forget his name. If you said it, I might know it. Um, but, uh, one of the, uh, um, be experts from the University of Ohio, uh, or excuse me, Ohio State, uh, came out and gave a great speech. Came this close to Young blaming, guy? no, older gentleman, um, Barry Conrad, maybe, maybe. I, I if I saw a picture, I'd recognize. Yeah. Anyway, the point is that he came this close to blaming Colonial Bee collapse on on beekeepers. Mm. So which which so I immediately fell into man love right away <laughs> because based on the things that I read, I said you know. When you take bees out of a natural habitat, natural habitat, and put them in a sterile box, and that aren't keep, even native to our continent, not even native, and you Getting keep changing the box Asian to benefit the beekeeper and not the bees, you know, it's just it's, asking for it. Yeah, you mean it's not going to work out extremely well. Yeah, it's not going to be. <laughs> a, yeah, this is not going to be an easy transition. So, <clears throat> bottom line is um, that's what got me really into bees, and not just. I wasn't into like collecting honey and I didn't want to get into the bee business. I just wanted a cool hobby that that I felt like I was connected me to nature more than anything else I've ever been mm, experienced. Nice. And and you know, I'm a guy who I got a degree in ornamental nursery management from Penn State. So I've been I spent a lot of time outside. I actually had no idea about that until like a week ago. Well, there you go. I just learned that right this second. Give me two yeah. more beers, and I'm sure you'll learn some more. But anyway, <laughs> um, so point is, is that um, um, I, I was I was in full full bore. You know, burn the boats. I'm not going back, and uh, and I'm and I definitely not going to do it like everybody else is doing it. So you That's don't. Have, so you wait. You don't have Langstroth hives. <laughs> I do. But I do now. Okay. But I didn't start out that way. So. My general philosophy at this point, um, and, um, and and full disclosure, just to show you how well it's worked, I have zero bees in my yard right now. Okay. Zero bees. But that's okay. Uh, but I'll get into that more later. I 
my general philosophy was this. <clears throat> There's a lot of different kinds of hives out there. And Longshelf Hive is great for the beekeeper. And um, maybe not so hot for the bees, but not, not that you can't make it great for bees. You just have to be mindful that you're, maybe the Longshelf Hive is, again, better for the beekeeper than it is for the bees. Yes. Got, why do I see Jimmy Collins right now in a nice, like, beautiful red hat that says, Make Bees Great Again? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Meba. <laughs> so is that going to be the show hashtag Meba? Mega? Me, what would that be? Make bees M-B-G-A. M-B-G-A. Oh, we just found a show title. <laughs> Make bees great, great again with Jimmy Collins. So um, bees already are great. They don't need my help. I can only screw them up. <laughs> That's the other thing that I've I've uh, learned is that at the end of the day, you know, bees been taking care of themselves for how many thousands of years, Greg? Dan, Jen. Uh, oh gosh, long time. Yeah, long before, time. Yeah. Before man was here, I'd probably assume. I would imagine. Yeah, well, here or there. I mean, probably not here, but no. in Europe, sure. I mean, yeah. thousands right. of years. So um, clearly, you know, the more we get involved, the you know, the, the worse it's going to get for them. So. Um, but my my philosophy was that diversity, and this is when I was also gotten into um, when I'd taken the uh, the uh, uh, permaculture pill. Oh, so, you drank that Kool Aid too? Oh yeah, the purple Kool Aid. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, that's how me and Jimmy Collins met was through that pill. Oh, that's yeah. right. No, oh, that's right. Okay, yep. excellent. Okay. Um, see, all right. So, bottom line is is that I was convinced that diversity was the key to maybe having a mm-hmm. um, successful bee yard right. you know and that um, multiple different kinds of hives um, and maybe figure out what might work best in terms of longevity for bees you know because um, the environment has I believe and still believe that has a lot to do with um, their ability to combat the parasites and diseases that uh, placate bees. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you're looking to um, sell bees, um, harvest honey and sell honey, or you want or in the wax and be able to make meat and be able to 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 scale that operation and to make money with it, or not even really make money with it, but to really have an end product that you can have fun with and trade and so on and so forth. You really have to be, um, have one system. Maybe a beekeeper instead of a bee haver. Yeah, bee haver. Like I was more of a bee haver. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be honest, I, you know, uh, somebody My once first said, year I was a bee haver too. Yeah, people, somebody once told so me I have bee lust where I just want one of everything. Yeah. That's you know what I mean? Kind of like a car collector. Yeah. But, but, if if you keep it more, you know, um, monoculturalist in terms of you just have longstrom hives and everything's exactly the same and it's easy to do splits and it's easy to to manage them because a wise man once told me and I think that was Greg Burns once you, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> you know once you take bees out of a tree and put it in a box you you're you're kind of responsible for them like Isn't livestock. True. Right? Isn't that a treatment in itself right there? You know what? If I got a tummy ache and I drink a little extra water, am I treating myself? You bet you are. Well, yeah. there you go. Yep. So when someone say you treat bees, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. 
you know no. uh, uh, you, you just don't want to poison your bees is looking at your bees a treatment <laughs> <laughs> it's a treat in itself that's right that is a treat well, that's an interesting uh, point that you brought up though because it seems like most of mo- I can only speak for myself and folks that are in my circle like you mm-hmm. that when we first get into beekeeping we have all, an awful lot of ideals and sometimes they're they're based on some really good intentions and and some overall some really good ideas that don't necessarily apply to every aspect in life and when we talk about permaculture and all these things that a lot of us got into beekeeping or even uh, farming through that lens it's through a lens where if you entertain a few ideas and you practice a few things then you can apply that to every single aspect within your life but that's really short-sighted because there isn't necessarily you can't apply you can apply all those things to every single context but you have to have the vision to be able to look at that system and actually see what's going on and not be biased to the system that you've created and a lot of us create the system where these are permaculture bees, this is a permaculture farm, therefore these things have to be in place. And then when something goes south in the system, you're blaming everything else other than the system itself. And you can't really look at it and say, this is my fault this is going on because I chose this path. If And, you, and it's hard to look at it and see it for what it actually is because that rubs up against and rubs your own shoulders and your own feathers and rubs things the wrong way with, the ideals that you're so firmly planted in. Yeah, it's kind of like when somebody says, uh, um, I believe in organic beekeeping. I've got organic honey. Right. Organic white. I mean, there ain't no such thing. Raw. Well, I'm, I'm no curious how thing. much time it took him to certify every single flower within five miles. <laughs> Good for that man for having that much time. That person has got to be on an island surrounded by like 10 miles of water. Right? Yes. Right? I bought a... Um, a uh, a nuke and I built a a top bar hive okay like from scratch like, like got from the scratch. plywood or and then yeah right right together. matter of fact I think I used pilot wood mostly on the outside oh my gosh yeah oh yeah oh yeah I was that's permaculture bro yeah, yeah it, it is, is man what is it what is it uh, uh, reuse reduce reduce re- re- uh, something yeah re- re- anyway i don't know i'm so terrible at that the point is is that uh I, I brought home the my nuke and then it's like okay i gotta figure out how i'm gonna get i gotta figure out how i'm gonna get my these frames that came in the nuke into my into my top bar hive did you oh. know that going into it or did you figure that out once you oh. brought the nuke back i didn't think about that at all <laughs> oh. so, so Bottom line is, the my angle was too sharp, and they and they were deeps, I think, or something. It was something oh, bizarre man. off about the frames, so I couldn't get them all the way in because the angle would cut off right. the bottom yeah. corners, so catch the bottom corners. So in about an hour, one evening, I built a new top bar high, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is what I have now, what, yeah. I, what I still have today. And, a completely uh, new one, or did you modify the one you had? No, completely new one. Oh my gosh! So, um, and then I just screwed the frames into the top bar and and, and set them in there. I screwed them onto when they're still into in the uh, uh, nuke, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I so I laid the top bar on top of it. You know, centered it as best I could. You know, looked mm-hmm. good. It was the same width as the top bar as the. Uh, uh, but wasn't it actually it was wider i take that back so i did my best to line it up as close as i can the center in the middle of my top bar laid it on top and just put like three wood screws in there and just picked it up and placed that was it i was done nice yeah so um and that worked for they did great i mean they did a great job filling out that that uh hive pretty quick and um later that fall I have a daily routine. I come home from work, I sit in the back, and I watch my bees. And then come September, you know, the the yellow jacket showed up. Mm. I'm like, look at them go. They're just, they're kicking ass. They're just, yeah. they're, you know, they're, look at that. They're doing a good job defending their, went away on vacation for a week, came back, almost all dead. Yeah. Yellow jackets. What I didn't do is reduce, reduce the, the, the entrance. entrance. And I made the entrance too big. Okay. So little details like that went right out the window when I was not prepared. Yeah. Right out the gate. How big a deal? You know, uh, if it's two inches or three quarters, or that's not that. Those are such minute details. It seems yes. like when you're getting started, or you do something like that, that kind of ad- adaptation. Like the big thing is to get the bees into a box and all, and then you learn the hard way on like some very well, in small hindsight, details. Is that is that a lesson that you always keep now in your forefront of your mind? Yeah. With your bees forward. And I, and I tell you what I do now is I feed yellow jackets every fall. Okay. On the other side of the property, I make big giant vats of sugar water, and there there's probably hundreds of yellow jackets. You know, a lot of them drown, a lot of them don't. Good. Point is, I don't see but maybe two or three by the hives. Okay. That's all. smart. Yeah. So. It's which is quite honestly was something I learned from you know studying them up on permaculture you know work with Mother Nature rather than against them. Yes, yeah, so Mother Nature works for you. So there's a little philosophical um, uh, tidbit that I that I actually use to solve the problem, and um, uh, and it worked great, and it still does. So I highly recommend anybody who has a lot of yellow jacket issues, you know, you can fight against them. And that's okay, but you may want to work with them. And well, I've seen some, some really, else. really efficient yellow jacket traps out there. Mm-hmm. Some that are homemade and DIY, and some uh, commercial. But yeah. I've always had better luck with the DIY stuff. Yeah, there you go. And anyway, this is kind of like a, a trap because a lot of them drowned. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them drowned. Well, they're after that easy food source, and they don't mind. And they're they're so destructive when it comes to the honeybee. If you can, yeah, you know, the, yeah, you know, the permaculture phrases. The the problem is the solution. Yeah. But you know, you talk is that about right, or is it the other way around? I always no. The, sol- the problem, the solution is the problem. The yeah. problem is well, no. The problem de- is the solution. I guess it's depending who's coming with, with the solution. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Just just ask to be. This yeah. guy's got another solution to my problem. We're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> so interesting enough, when you talk, I heard you earlier today talk about bee genetics and how diverse they are in terms of their behavior, and um, you know, we're always looking for that perfect bee, and so on and so forth. So. Um, this, my first set of bees, you know, died because of the yellow jackets. And I believe because I didn't, I didn't reduce the entrance. Also, the entrance was very lo- much larger than it should be. So how large are we talking? <clears throat> oh, I don't know. I mean, like I have no idea. Size of a dollar bill? Um, Four or six inches put probably. You, if you put your, your two index fingers on top of each other side yeah. by side, that's what I had. When, oh, it sh- okay. when it should have been that, just one index finger. Yeah. Okay. Also, it was not only was it wide, but it was tall. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It was long and high. How's okay. that? Wide long open. Long and high. Okay. It was All right. Two fingers high, and 
almost as wide as the entire. I'm just curious because you got me thinking about my bee yard now, and Mm. because I have multiple one inch circle openings on the front of my boxes for the bees. And now you're making me more mindful of like, well, well, what happened during the fall with yellow jackets and some of my weaker hives and could be. Well, anyway, one thing for sure, yellow jackets are definitely uh, they they will take advantage of a weak hive, you know, in a heartbeat if they can. So they're gone and dead. Um, I harvest some honey out of it. Okay, makes it kind of bittersweet. No pun intended. No pun intended. I said, you know what? I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a swarm next year. Sure enough, following May, a swarm of bees moved in into that hive. I didn't touch it. I didn't bait it. Yeah. Anything with it because I I left a lot of the wax and the brood comb mm-hmm. in there. <clears throat> and I thought it was something unique about these bees because they were smaller. And I think this was before you and I really started talking about bees or even met, or right about the same time. They were slightly smaller than my Europeans that I that I had before. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned that a woman about a quarter mile, or half mile from my house, on the other side of our farm property that, that we live on, um, she has wild bees, wild in that they probably lived in this tree for 10 years in front of yeah. her house. Oh, that's cool. So they took me over to go check it out. And they were, I, I'm telling you, they were smaller than the average European. I'm convinced they were the same bees that had moved into my, into my, um, Langshirt? my hive. The first time around? No, my top bar. Okay. Okay. And that's, I still, this is all I had. It was just yeah. that one top bar. Second season. And don't you know that the first thing that they did was propolize my gigantic opening? It was way <laughs> too big. It's almost like they know. The first set of bees didn't bother with that. They didn't know, didn't care. Maybe it was the same size entrance they had back in the, the box that they used to live in when they were working the almond fields in California. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know where these bees really came from. Mm-hmm. There were a nuke that I got from somebody, but who knows? I don't know. So uh, that I got off of Craigslist, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, but that's the first thing that they did. And I was, and I was like, it's wild. I just love that. You know, they, they fixed my mistake. So... Kind of pushed me into these into the idea that bees know how to take better care of themselves than than I do. So um, that kind of encouraged me not to inspect my bees regularly, not to um, um, feel like I needed to treat them with chemicals or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they lived for three years. Oh wow! For three years, I got lots of honey from them. Um, uh, lots of wax, um, and then last winter, um, I could tell that they were kind of weak going in, going into the winter, and um, I was concerned, but yet I wanted to stick with what I originally went into it with. It's like they've made it this far. What yeah. kind of wait, wait, so as box frame size? What are we talking about here? Great question. So this is a top bar hive. Very large, okay. In my head, I wanted a lot of wax. I wanted a, a large brood chamber, which was really, really, it's one big long brood train. There's right. no real brood chamber. Yeah. But um, I wanted a large colony. Um, didn't have to worry about swarms, which because I didn't, I know what I read, but I didn't want to, have to deal with it yet. So I figured if I had a, if I had a lot bigger's better, right? Right. If I had a larger top bar hive than what than what 
the, the plans you get online, you know, how bad can that be? Just And it worked great. So I, I'm telling you, the bars were as long as my arm. Okay. And there were 21, I think it was 21 bars long. Oh, my God. And I had 14 or 15 bars of wax. Wow. All the way to the back. And every winter, I would go in and I'd put in a false back that was insulated. Okay. Okay, so I didn't have all, didn't have to right. worry about that dead space. Yeah. So my goal was to, you know, every year they'd go a little further back. Wouldn't it be cool if I got it all the way, mm. you know, because the, the hive was probably as long as this, uh, not yeah. as long as this table, <clears throat> but, you know, what is that, three feet? Yeah, probably nearly or close to four feet in length. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and also, after reading about um, a prone hive out of right. Argentina, which I think is a really, really cool uh, design, um, you know, that also encouraged me to really promote a really large brood box, honey super combo, yeah. you know, which is basically how they are on a tree. But in reality, though, in trees or wherever else they're out there in the wild, they they're really aren't that ever that big, are they, Greg? No, and they're kind of going the other way, aren't they're they? They're going way, they're going, they're going up or they're going down. Yeah, yeah up, exactly. So... Which, you know, is another thing I built was a tree hive, a hollow tree that I put on a stand with a super on top. That is, that I, I like to just buy a package and throw them in there and, and see, see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. But that's, so, going, so you're talking about going into uh, the fall on this top bar. Yeah. And you're noticing that something doesn't quite, they don't, quite, they don't seem as robust as they had in years past. Population seems kind of low, you know. Well, we're talking pretty much zero maintenance, so you're not really getting in there, breaking up, because you probably had a lot of cross comb, burr comb, the whole nine. I, you're right. So this is what I did. I, I, I made a... You really couldn't maintain it at that point if you no, wanted to without destroying the hive. My, right? The agreement that I made with the bees in my head, <laughs> which is where I live most of the time, Yes. <laughs> um, was I think that... most beekeepers do that. Yes. Right? was that I'll let them cross comb up to a certain point. The me on that is mine. Yeah. Okay? So if they want to create any type of design in the front half of the hive where the brood chamber's at and and the bee bread's at and a lot, you know, you know, um, they can do what they want. And that was a little bit out of laziness, a little bit out of ignorance in the beginning because they'd already started and I let it go too I didn't want to mess with it because I didn't want to just yeah rip them up too rip much. them up too much you yeah. know and and because I still didn't know what I was doing um which I thought was a pretty and it worked it worked for a few years that way um so did I answer your question or was it just a yeah no yeah. I think that's that's I, I, yeah, I have two top bars here and I can never really get them going well enough and it's it, they're not compatible at all with Langstroth unless you not do some all. heavy heavy mods yeah. But then even if you do, you know, they're 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 really tricky to manipulate those frames. You'd be you'd be you know really careful if you are the the, the challenge the re reason I asked is a lot of it is probably not, I'm not saying out of your ignorance, but most folks that are getting into top bar hives, they might not understand that there unfortunately are laws and regulations when it comes to beekeeping that are pretty strict and clear that you have to have removable frames for inspection. And so the challenge that I have with the top bar is keeping that rascal cleaned up enough and maintained enough so they can get so into you can it. do that. And then you have, an, you, have, you have an inspector come out or you come out, and if it's July or August, and it's at 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, which is a good time typically to go work the bees because they're out 
lesser out, less sure. to irritate. Sure, for you're not real careful pulling that bar. It's literally it's it's a you know a three quarter inches in in thickness by the length of the of the box, and the rest is wax. You pull that out, and you just tilt one way or the other, the wrong way, and it's, it plops on the ground. There's yeah. your queen or anything else. Yep. So the really challenge. So I, I can see where folks don't maintain them because they're not super easy uh, to work with. It, it, to your point, you almost it was antithetical to exactly what I was trying to accomplish. In that, in order to run a really successful top bar hive operation, you have to be in them a lot. More maintenance than a length strength. A lot yeah. more than a length strength, and for nothing else to make sure that your your comb is straight now I'll, let me let me jump ahead you know with the prone hive system and i kind of touched upon this with you early, oh, some months ago is that they believe that on a longstrip hive and most other hives the bee space is too wide yeah so if you cut it down to nine millimeters which is closer to it's exactly what it is in the wild they know based upon research not only do you have tighter bee space but if you're running a long strip hive i'm sorry top bar hive you're you might be less likely to have cross combing okay because okay. it right but also in a prone system they don't even worry about it because you don't ever go into that brood chamber so it doesn't that hardly giant matter. brood chamber right so there's no removable frames in it or anything like well that? it basically it's a um just picture a cube a large cube box um and i don't remember the dimensions but you have a it looks like a tray that's a, that's maybe an inch thick mm-hmm. and it sits on top the way you might stack your longstrip hives yeah but in there you have um built-in um bars that mm-hmm. the bees would you know build their coma and then above that you have for lack of a better term a honey super that's so shallow that queens don't will not go in there to lay to lay but the workers go in there to build comb inside the this box and and then you just keep stacking these shallow honey supers okay. above it. And then you come by with some piano wire and you separate the top box from the box below it and you pick up your box and you walk away with a load of honey. That, isn't it is it it's one giant vertical yep. set of, of comb and construction that you're giving them an uh, an exterior shell to work with. Mm-hmm. And you're going through and slicing that underneath the boxes when you want to pull anything off, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, but except for the top, the box where it's actually all hanging from, right? Well, the box where you mean where the brood's hanging from? Like, like at, there, there is a termination point, right, to where the wax is hanging. I mean, the wax is going to probably cling onto the sides of the boxes and such too. But isn't there a maybe the very, very top box where they're starting to draw out from? No. So, what happens is. You've got a larger cube below you, a larger box, which is the brood chamber. And um, not only do you have the, the bars on top of it, okay, but you'll have maybe like some sticks in there to help support the wax. Okay. Okay. And you never, ever are supposed to go in there. That, that's it upside down. So there's a brood chamber upside down. He just showed Dan showed us a photo, which is great for a podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, yeah. Dan. Well, I've I've... I'm trying to just imagine what he's saying. I'm looking at this photo yeah. since everyone can't see yeah. it. The comb is massive. Definitely some super advanced stuff to be toying with <laughs> after you've developed like the skill set to understand all the intricacies of the bees, it seems like. That's it is. And it's very and, 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 yeah. and the reason why he did this is because of that he designed this. Uh, there you go. Here's, here's an even better picture of dimensions. Yeah. So basically people out there That's South America, right? With those yeah. 
And so that is, isn't isn't that's not even the European honeybee, is it? Sure, it is. It was down. Okay. Basically, they have the same temperate zones we have in Argentina and Chile, just below the south. I thought the initial start with that was a different. Uh, I thought it was more Africanized bees they were trying to put in the boxes. I don't believe so. The okay. reason why he created this was to combat naturally varroa mite. And I'll and I know so going at let natural size comb smaller size but smaller bee space yes. more heat more bees more humidity he said even better not only is it a few degrees warmer in there because the comb's tighter your bee space is tighter mm-hmm. but humidity goes up two things that the varroa don't like um, that the bees don't mind there's a little warmer hive and a little more humid hive okay and it, allegedly. Okay, based on what I've read, this system has, has been so successful that uh, uh, the the it's it's ninety percent more effective than anything else they've ever used um, in terms of uh, um, varroa infestation. As far as anything else goes, I don't know. And I but, wonder how much of that, you know, uh, the before that method versus after to to, to say that it's more effective on varroa. <clears throat> What I've noticed is different parts of the country, here either in the U.S. or different parts of the state, mm-hmm. will have different mite loads. Sure. I wonder what the what, how heavy or or, or or insignificant the mite loads were, were down there to start with. Uh, well, in terms of it, it was bad enough where this gentleman felt like he needed he had to, to he have needed, a solution for yeah, it. Yeah, right. They put gotcha. invest a lot of time and a lot of years, um, and it isn't that old. I think um, it's only about. 20 maybe 25 years old in terms okay. of because you don't really see a whole lot of that I don't, you don't hear a lot of that or see a lot of that well part of the problem is most of the videos on it on youtube are in spanish so maybe that's why you don't well, see the a lot other of aspect it here. here is in the st- it's probably <laughs> state, state, state regulation uh, no habla espanol <laughs> and the, probably the, the if that is a good solution it'll never be a solution here in the states with the regulatory Thank you. That yeah. we have here as you, far as again, frames. You make a great point. Not only that, but in terms of, look, beekeeping in this country is run by, in terms of our culture and how, we, how we're supposed to keep bees, ultimately it's controlled by uh, the larger... Um, um, Based on commercial ag- agriculture, commercial for, agriculture for honey production primarily. Well, and pollination. Po- that's what I was thinking of. The pollinator industry, the pollination industry, is what really runs this r- runs the show in this country. That yeah. kind of box wouldn't. You can't put that on a semi and, and ship to California for almonds, can you? You probably could, but it'd be in pieces. It'd be difficult. Yeah. Not, but better yet, you won't be able to get to the bees to sell them back to us. Exactly, as weak packages. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. and you know, I met a. I buy eggs from this guy who has this really nifty little roadside market in Bath, Ohio, where it's, you know, it's all in the honor system. You know, you drop your shekels in a box for some eggs or some produce or honey or maple syrup or whatever. Do they have a different currency in Cleveland? I don't know. I, I really don't know. <laughs> so it's probably the same currency they have in Seabus, but... Right. <laughs> Point is, is that the the the, you know, when I go there regularly to buy my eggs, I see he's got lots of hives up and down his driveway. He's got a big piece of property, and every now and again I bump bump into him. His name is Jim, nice guy, 
And we talk oh, bees. Shit. Every, His name's Jim. I know, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Papa got around, huh? Yes, Papa so. was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> so um, we always talk about bees. And so finally we started talking about bees and money and and how you're doing with winter survival rates and so on and so forth. He says, Jimmy, I'll be honest with you. It cost me 150 bucks to get a package. I get 50 pounds out of every package of honey every year. I get $10 a pound. That's $500 in my pocket, minus $150. $350 profit for the summer per hive. I'll run 15 or so hives. And that's what he sells from his this little side roadside. So that kind of gives you very little incentive to overwinter. Bingo. He's like, if they make it for the winter, great. If they don't, eh. So it's a strictly... It's it's a it's a business model, and the sad thing is, from the business standpoint, it works. Mm-hmm. It works for him, and it works for the for the big pollinators. Yeah. So, um, we we spent a lot of time and a lot of money wanting to keep our bees alive over the winter. Greg's no no exception. So, at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Is it just for the dollars and the cents? Or is it because you have some type of spiritual connection with Mother Nature and through the bees? Maybe you're just trying to provide for your family and survive. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. You know. And there's a fine line between doing right with the bees and Thank you. trying yeah. to survive. Or being, yeah, being responsible yeah. for your investment, being responsible for the, the life of the honeybee. But the, you know, like what you mentioned there, if you don't start off with asking yourself why in the world am I doing this, you really can't set yourself yeah, you up to goals. execute. Yeah. Bingo, bingo, and that's what I asked myself too in the beginning. Is I'm not interested in in making trying to turn a profit with this. I'm interested in in the more esoteric, the more you know the how it made me value. feel. Yes. To, I, to watch bees. Well, that's how I started is for that therapeutic value. Oh, because nothing, nothing calms you, nothing relaxes you like getting out there and being with your bees. I don't know what it is about these little bugs, but there is something about it that has just a, brings you down a notch to this level of harmony. Has the VA ever done any research on the benefits of... Uh, like, they have Equine well, Therapy, they have you know, all kinds there's of... There's a group out, and it's actually a nonprofit out in Las Vegas called Bees for Vets. I was actually really interested in it, but they only do it out in Las Vegas for now. They have a few chapters that they help start up through the country. And I was like, screw it. Called the guy one night. Uh, his name's Dan, actually. And we spoke for, oh, God, three hours. And he said one of the unique things they have is for veterans from World War One that came back with shell shock, which is just another name for PTSD, Yeah, they would tell them to keep bees. And he actually has literature wow. from That's World great. War One about getting veterans into bees. And it was super, super unique, and that's what kind of took me down that rabbit hole a little bit deeper. Yeah, well, for me, like I said, every day after work, I'd sit and watch my bees, and it was relaxing and exciting at the same time. So if you think you have an adult ADD, get yourself some bees. <laughs> they'll make you They'll make you slow down. Yeah. yeah Especially if you try to be keeping without a bee suit, then you really slow down. <laughs> yeah. And you're really yeah. observant of every, every wing flutter, every bee that's crawling, every... That you might, I mean, you're just going through the, you know, through your B frames. You, you know, you want to make sure you're handling it with, you know, ease and care, so you don't kill the queen. You're more respectful when you're worried that they're going to light you up than if you're just jumping what? in with a suit right. and blasting yes. them to pull a, 
couple frames of honey out. Well, that also goes back to the beekeeper versus bee haver. So in the past, you know, you've kind of been a bee haver, which is totally cool. You know, you have a respect and a, and a, and a connection with them in the past. Um, what What are your ideas moving forward? I mean, what are you? Well, what ideas are you entertaining? I'm not. I'm not abandoning the um, belief and the desire to have an eclectic collection of beehives. However, what I am going to do first is to make sure that I'm dialed in with one particular system, which will most likely be the launch of hive. Um, if nothing else, I have more of those now than I do. And local support, if you local, do need frames Local support from my friends here around yes. the table. Yeah. Put your tongue back in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, that wasn't meant for you, buddy. <laughs> oh, um, now I'm jealous, thanks. So, um, and make sure I'm dialed in with that. And, and, and here's the thing. In my head, it'd be nice to have a collection of hives that are strictly f- for um, breeding purposes, spreading yeah. purposes, to maintain my numbers in terms of how many hives I think I might want to be able to keep, you know, for my own enjoyment, just enough to where it's just short of work and more than enough to make sure that I'm never, t- you know, I always got something to do. Do you have a plan for, for maintenance or for ma- or observing or maintaining the health of the bees? You know, I really don't. My my plan is to get more bees <laughs> Yeah. and um, definitely observe them every seven to ten days, okay? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I really, I really don't want to... Uh, do any type of preventative treatment per se um, but um, I think I can get away with that as long as I do observe them every 7 to 10 days if you just want to be a bee haver ironically maybe you should be doing just some preventative what are you going to observe let me ask you this and I under- totally understand that philosophy mm. and I subscribe I have subscribed and I still do the issue that I didn't quite understand until it was too late, and I'll ask you the question, what are you going to observe and look for to know what action you do need to take? Great question. So, obviously, um, a br- your brood pattern, you know, you got to know if you're queens uh, on our game or are there you got issues. Not to mention the, um, your, you know, your, your larvae and, and, and your... In your eggs, you gotta, because that's where a lot of your problems start. Okay, um, I believe what is it, Varroa that really love your, they love your your drones. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye on your on, on, on yep. your drones. Anytime you see drones, that's always a good thing because drones are strictly a a uh, a want to have, not a need to have. You know, yeah. they're 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 a luxury. They're for, they're the first ones to go when there's a problem. Um, uh, do do uh. Do a Varroa count, you know. So do do, do an alcohol wash. Find that, you know. Okay, that's really. really I, yeah. So you are really. going to actually monitor and see. Okay. Yeah, monitor yeah. isn't just you know, but 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 you know, I used to tell people is when you you really want to smell your bees, know what they're supposed to smell like, because if, as soon as the smell changes, there's a problem. Also, and noticed, that's and that's what I've noticed I, in my own personal experience. Yes, and I actually had a very similar uh, oh shit moment. Uh, and I kind of still do each fall when goldenrod comes on because <laughs> smell of pollen in your hive 
actually is what changes the smell and it's more getting in because i know exactly what you mean with the smell of a hive because it changes throughout the season and you can definitely smell if something's wrong because the golden rod always fools me every time when it first comes on because it has that rotten smell like dirty gym socks but also tastes really really good (laughs) when you smell that the next thing is the 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 visual observation to where if you yes. smell the funkiness and you look yeah. in you can see the funkiness but you know that now we're talking about european foul brood and american foul brood yeah is that smell and that observation and there's a method of you know a toothpick or pulling ropes out to see if they have a sliminess so that'll take care of that let's say you have you're noticing hive beetles and things like that there's there's things that you can do one one and we probably talked about it but one flaw that i had in my thinking is that there were visual observations I can make with the hive, and then I could take action at that point to get it back on track. And that's when I, I thought that I could look and see, when I seen deformed wings, that I still had plenty of time to treat the hives. And we're going to have them on the show here soon. Sean Brown and I went to that uh, pest management workshop where we could learn more, not about... It wasn't a, a brainwashing for treatment, it was an education on the life cycle of the mite and actually how they interact with the, with the honeybee. And that's when I learned that, hey, if you're seeing deformed wing virus, it's already too late. Yeah. If, you're seeing, if you're seeing the mites on top of the bees, it's already getting to be too late because they feast on the underside where the fat stores are. And as they're moving from bee to bee or leaving the hive, they get on top, hitch a ride, and, and find a new place to, to kind of go to. So it, it wasn't until... I did an alcohol wash this year to where I could actually see I have two hive beetles per 300 bees to actually dictate what it was that I was going to do a treatment, if anything. And so yeah. that's good. I, I was curious if you were just going to just look at wait it. for a magical sign, a smoke <laughs> sign to show up one day to say, hey, time to treat the bees, or if, you were, if there was context to the no, observation you, there. You, yeah, and, and you, like, like you said, not only do you need to understand, understand the 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 life cycle of a royal mite but also the life cycle of, of your bees and because they work hand in hand or, or at least for the varroa it does so um so but, but great point so with with the more of the observation aspect of it is this going to rule out any more of the conventional style treatments for you or if something gets bad enough you might start thinking about something needs to happen i've i've done this enough and burn through enough bees to say that never say never. Okay. About anything. Because I know previously Greg and I had the conversation about with our livestock, the antibiotics. Like, mm. I'm not going to sit and watch my critter suffer if I know there's something I can factor in to actually help keep it alive. Mm. Right. So keep in mind, too, I mean, we, we, we compare them with livestock. And I guess technically they are, like we said before. You know, we took yes. them out of the wild and we've... You know, domesticated them as much as you possibly can. Yeah, they're an investment into our property. Yeah, I compare it to livestock because I have that emotional bond with my livestock. And after a certain amount of time with my bees, even though they're but Dan at the end of the day, they're thousands of little bugs. But Dan, can you think of any other animal, domesticated animal, that is as affected by its environment more than a honeybee? They're they're literally like trapped wild slaves in a box that are the most vulnerable to weather and pollen and the worst thing the beekeeper. 
Yeah, I mean, the one thing that bees hate more than a beekeeper is another bee. So we're, we're, we're pretty close and, to the top. And, of course, this context <laughs> is when we're taking bees and managing them. You know, the bees that are going from tree. You know, what we don't have is a lot of scientific data or literature or personal experiences with observing bees that are living in bee trees to see, like, oh, my gosh, every three weeks these bees are actually swarming and finding a new tree, a new a car fender or a soffit or a bee tree to move to. Yeah. If that was occurring in a beehive, you'd be pinching those queens and getting rid of that, getting rid of those genetics. We we want to pretend that just because they're in the wild or that they're in a bee tree, that they're somehow esoterically or philosophically, environmentally, or even physically superior to the bees that we're keeping in the boxes. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. Well, they're only superior in that they don't, they're not being bothered by us. They're, they're, like you said, they have to hive. Um, excuse me. They have to swarm yes. to survive. And a story. It's if natural they, reproduction. Yeah, if they don't, then if they stay in one place too long, they, they're not, they, they just won't survive. Right. Okay. And why don't they survive? Well, it could be weather. It could be Varroa. It could be something else. It could be, you know, a skunk got in there or a bear got in there and ripped it up and, and they're gone now. So they're... Mother Nature has wired them so that we got to get out of here. Okay, we've been here for so many months. Our numbers are good. It's getting kind of crowded. Let's get out and move on. You guys stay here. Good luck. You know, packing up the RV. We're done. We're out. We're out now you talked about the uh, genetic makeup of certain bees that are more prone to swarming more often yeah or chewing mites off or chew, or, yeah, yeah. right mm -hmm. and you talked about you know i heard african honeybees africanized honeybees i call them brazilianized because they brought the bee from africa into brazil and Move north and made it with you know european and they some of them got out you know yeah so I call them Brazilianized because that's because that's what you know. I'm gonna start calling our bees Americanized. I was gonna say America. They, they America. Bee got a, got America. Europeanized as much as they got, or vice versa. But like the African honeybee, they're they're constantly on the move. Yeah, they follow yeah. the rainy season. Well, how quickly do they move up from South America to the Southern United States? Well, it took a long time, but they're never gonna. I mean, they're already overall, in Wisconsin, so I mean, yeah, yeah. So overall, though, you're right. In the in, in the grand scheme of things, it, it was a blink of an eye. As far it was, as yeah, for a new, time is concerned, a new species or a new mm. subspecies or whatever it is to move that much. We created distance. the problem. Yes, to move that Once much again, difference and establish, and then yeah. continue. That's rapid. I know of, I know of guys who keep bees in Arizona, in the Tucson area, Oracle area. Yeah. Who and their and their bees are quote unquote Africanized. You just you just deal with it. You put on a suit. Yeah. You park your truck half mile away, and you walk up to the hive, suit it up, and you just, yeah. you, you know, and it's just the way it is. Yeah. So, um, um, that being said, um, I I don't think they're, you know, you don't have to worry about skunks getting into them. <laughs> no mice crawling in there. No, not at all. <laughs> So what are your what are your plans for the spring? So my plans for the spring are to I, I want to get three uh, nukes in my yard uh, in in Longstrip hives, and I just want to start from scratch, get reacquainted with um, with having bees because it's been hard this summer not having bees, like emotionally. It was it was ask ask my wife. Yeah, I was dealing with depression, withdrawal. Yeah. 
So as my children sit on the couch laughing at me. They're laughing, but I mean, every single one of us, I, uh, I, I didn't serve in the military like half of us here at the table did, but I have seven kids. And the PTSD from having seven kids <laughs> raising kidding? a large family. No, I'm just kidding. But but in all in all seriousness, there 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 is something borderline magical about sitting in a bee yard, to where you can get yourself in tune with whatever that that is, get your mind opened up, and I I can definitely see where that is is beneficial not just to vets with PTSD mm-hmm. but with anyone who is, is dealing with anything mentally or just we all need something to kind of. Uh, help pull ourselves back away from us, from get, separate ourselves from the ego, and then you can kind of see things for what they are. And so, I, I mean, I can totally understand. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have B, I mean, I, I always, I always think think of Dan when he calls. Is he's moping around and he's sad this time of year because he's not in there seeing his girls and checking up on them and all that. And you get that, you get that warm mm-hmm. snap, and you talk to Dan, and he's like overflowing bubbly high school girl dan and he's so in love and it's, oh my gosh yeah it's I so cute yeah. he's always it's checking like a with girl us. And i just got asked out to prom by like the super jock yeah i'm just so excited like this is the worst time because i go out there and there's no bees out and around i there's, knock on the box and i can hear him talking to me but it's it's it's, lonely. it's an amazing relationship that you're, you're you're talking about they're they're different than everything else you have on the farm i mean they, they definitely are they're 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 unique I don't fully understand, you know, why that is, but you know, that's great that you got plans to do hmm. something with them. So you're going to get three nukes, three nukes, planets. and 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 set out plenty of traps. I did trap uh, two uh, swarms last year, but um, they didn't survive. Yeah, they didn't. So they have they you put, Not to interrupt you, have you put thought into what kind of nukes you're going to get? Are you looking at the small cell side, or you want to go with more of a European? Um, I have not. I wouldn't mind getting some small cell. Um, uh, which I'll talk to Greg about here in a little bit. But um, w- if I do small cell bees, I really want to get um, um, thinner fra- frames made yeah. that create a smaller uh, bee space. It'd be fun to try. And let them draw natural comb out. And yeah. It's kind of like your worry, small cell, Langstroth, all the fundamentals, the, the not only philosophical, but the, the ideas of, of smaller bees, more bees, smaller space, but have them in a system where you can actually get in there and manage them and what you may notice is just like might be your best beekeeping season ever not because of honey produce or number of hives or viability but you're gonna be able to spend way more time actually observing the bees when you can get in there and you can pull a frame out and you can look and see all these things i mean it's mind-blowing versus being able just to sit it's one thing to sit out in front of the hive and see them coming in and out and wonder what's going on that's just entertainment but to yeah. actually get in there and pull a frame and to actually see and with three of them have that comparison. I mean, your relationship with, with the bees and that entire system, I think it's going to be incredible. Yeah, but I, I got to do either one or one or the other. I can't, I, I don't want to do right. both because, you know, so, um, but if I do get anything in a, in, a, in a trap, those I'll probably put in one of my log hives. Yeah. Because I got three different log hives that I've created and are just sitting in my backyard they look great as, as you're driving by yeah they look like i'm doing something <laughs> it's all about looking so, cool right? i love going yeah. to google maps and zeroing down on the property and oh yeah well you've you're how many years now into your beekeeping journey this will be f- um four so as we as we wrap it up here what what would you pass on to the first year beekeeper hardest lesson learned and what you've learned from it don't give up 
You know, if if you give up, you weren't really meant to be a beekeeper anyway, and that's okay. But um, um, every every death of a hive is an opportunity for you to learn. So don't uh, don't miss don't miss out on that. Um, learn from your mistakes and 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 use those lessons because they will give you a chance to make new mistakes. <laughs> they're all happy little accidents. Yeah, they're happy. They're sometimes they're happy little accidents. So um, uh, definitely take a beekeeper's class. Definitely, um, you know, you ask 10 beekeepers the same question, you'll get 20 different opinions. So keep that in mind. Um, you're better off just doing than, than going crazy trying to figure out what you should do. Just do it. Um, make a decision and just do it. Don't don't be analysis paralysis. Don't forget the people that you are in bed with in terms of the pollinator industry. Okay, um, they love hearing fifty percent or higher. You know, uh, winter kill rates because they'll be able to sell more packages. <laughs> um, and, you know, ultimately and decide. Know why you're doing this ahead of time. Know what your goals are. Know. Do you, do you want to do this because you want to, you know, you want to harvest lots of honey to, to give away or to sell or to make mead? Or you just want to do it because you just want to feel like you're helping out the bees or you have a hobby or you have, you know, an interesting topic to talk about when friends come over. And, you know, make sure you, you're honest with yourself about that because that really will, um, that really will tell you how you should approach beekeeping because there is a difference there absolutely is a difference my desire and reason for uh being a beekeeper is completely different than maybe greg's or james or sean or, or dan or anybody else out there and um that's really it i guess cool that's that's a lot of great takeaways yeah, yeah definitely and that's some, those are things that unfortunately you can only learn the hard way to fully understand nothing so too about to do it yeah if you can exactly you know the you, you can fake it till you make it, and, and but you have to be smart enough to look at the situation for what it is, understand it, so you can make changes and try to do better next time. Because that seems like the recurring theme with me with bees is try to do better next time. Just keep trying to do better next time. Like I said, don't give up. Just don't keep give trying up. to do better next time. Because like with, with these kind of things, you know, the, the more we learn, the less we really understand about it. And so you have to have a certain mentality to uh, to keep punishing yourself with these kind of things but <laughs> well you have a real unique unique story and, and you've done some really interesting things with worry and, and log hives and and your approach there so thanks for spending a little bit of time with this and sharing your experience with us my pleasure thank you for having me and and uh everybody be careful out there and be the change one hive at a time be awesome oh, oh everybody drink cheers cheers I'm a Leo. Um, <laughs> well, I thought you were Jimmy. Yeah. Wait, that's, that's the wrong show. That's later. Oh, sorry. That's that sample show. All right. <laughs> Wait, he, he sells a show? I don't know. I, <laughs> I give him a dollar every month for it. So. Oh, Dan used to do that, too. Well, you know, some people still do tricks for dollars. <laughs> you, get, you get what you pay for. So, oh. Sorry, Drew. I couldn't help it. I smell blood in the water and I had a bite. <laughs>